It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being here, friends. My name is Mike Bernard. I am your host. I'm also one of the CFPs on the program. With me in the KFG studios, my business partner and fellow CFP, Josh Gregory. Well, to combat inflation, the Fed is expected to increase interest rates multiple times this year. So what happens to stocks when the Fed is raising rates? And what other financial implications do you need to be aware of in this rising rate environment? That and more in this hour on The Wise Money Show. How are you feeling with your dad jokes this morning, Josh? Uh, I'm, I can never hang with you guys. Well, so Kevin's, you're going to need to step in. There's some big shoes to fill. Kevin's out today. <sighs> and so just, you know, just the, charge, the charge that battery. And, yep. All right. So if you have a question for the program, and we're going to get to questions in the second half, uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can call or text us 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. Online, wisemoneyshow.com. All over social media, that's where most engagement comes. You can find us there. Wherever you're at, just search the Wise Money Show. And by the way, it's tax season. Tax planning oh, is such an important component of your overall financial plan. If you have any questions, you have any needs, our team is here to help as well. You can reach us in each of those ways as well. So, Did, did I tell you that around the uh, the holidays, I actually bought a dad jokes book just so I could hang out with you guys a little bit? <laughs> is this a dad joke? I, I should have br- no, I should have brought it with me, but... <laughs> My kids are just loving that book, and oh, I tell great. them, man, I, I hang out with the originators of most I dad jokes. I just try to compete with Kevin. <laughs> hey, so uh, this is a couple years ago now, almost a couple years ago to the day. I remember it. We were in lockdown. It, lockdown had just started, but we didn't even know what this meant. Um, and in, in the Midwest, northern Indiana, it was a warm Sunday in March. So I got the grill out. And I think my mother-in-law was over, even because we went through a time where it was like we didn't see her at all because she was really careful with the virus. And the, but it was really early; we had just locked things down. And it was a Sunday, and I'm grilling, and I see this headline: the Federal Reserve was going to meet later this week, and everything was in panic, right? So I thought, okay, well, wonder what they're going to say on Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever they were going to release something. And it was a Sunday night, and they uh, a big headline came across saying. The Federal Reserve has announced an emergency interest rate cut, bringing it from, I think, 2% to zero Mm -hmm. instantly. And I thought, well, that's going to freak the markets out. (laughs) (laughs) Like we're normally like, right. So sometimes in the, in Wall Street, like good news is bad news and bad news is good news. And so normally like they're, Fed's lowering interest rates, that should be good for the economy. But it was, we, I just knew there was already a sense of panic. There had been a sense of panic for a month and this was going to kick off another wave of panic, even though ultimately a good thing. Mm -hmm. But fast forward a couple of years. And uh, like I said, and you know, trillions of dollars later in debt spent by our government and print and loaned out from the Federal Reserve, we still have these interest rates at zero percent, and we have the highest interest or we have the highest inflation that Josh, you and I have ever seen in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. Right? Maybe as infants, it was higher. Right? right? But uh, but this is crazy. The Federal Reserve is likely to now start raising rates. Many people are expecting four times this year. So what are the implications? That's what we're hitting right now. I want to start with, what do you think the implications are going to be on the stock market? Well, it seems like everybody has an opinion on this, too. Everyone is an armchair Federal Reserve banker these days. And they have their opinion playing Monday morning quarterback, whatever metaphor you want to use. But uh, I I guess you could throw us in that category as well. We, We keep watching and thinking, holy cow, you know, is... 
is the economy going to start ramping up at a speed that they can't tap the brakes enough and kind of rein it in without sending us skidding into a ditch somewhere yeah. uh, in, in the economy and everything. So I don't know. You know, I, I tend to think um, you've got to look back at history in order to get your cues on what to expect. And at some level, each, um, each era in the past when they've been raising interest rates, it's a slightly different story and, and all that. But you can start to at least draw some sort of expectations on, hey, what, what does typically happen? Yeah. And we were looking at uh, kind of a chart of the, the history. And I, I don't know if this might be something worth uh, posting in the show notes, but... Um, kind of year by year, each time that there have been at least four rate hikes in a, in a given calendar year, what does the stock market do? And the answer is it's all over the place it's in all that over year. Place. Yeah. I mean, the most recent time was 2018. The market finished down a few percent. Uh, however, the Fed also tried to sneak one past the goalie and start shrinking their balance sheet at that time, too. And that caused uh, a little bit of a panic. There's some other charts here as well. Uh, one of uh, the the economists or, or financial professionals that I love to read and listen to is Ben Carlson. And he posted an article back, oh, mid-January what will happen with mortgage rates when when rates are going up and again it's or what happens with the housing market when when rates are going up and it, it is it's sort of all over the board if i were to give a blanket statement with the stock market as interest rates are rising stocks do generally do well mm -hmm. they generally do now when there is a significant so there's a 10% drop in the market that's called a correction a 20% drop in the market is a is a bear market now bear markets typically coincide with recessions the start of a rate increase off of zero is in my opinion unlikely to cause a recession on its own there would need to be some other factors so to me because we are we are at an unprecedented level with interest rates, and we've done unprecedented unprecedented things with printing money. We've got inflation, all that sort of stuff. I think it's going to be incredibly hard for the Fed to raise interest rates enough to combat inflation yeah. without freaking out the stock market. Yeah. Will it send it into a bear market and like that sustained, meaning recessionary? I don't. I doubt it. I would expect volatility though. Mm -hmm. I, I like that you were referencing a moment ago, um, I, th I guess it was 2008, 13, when the Fed was trying to sneak one past the goal, 18, you said? 18. 2018. Um, trying to reduce their balance sheet. I, I think you're kind of referencing to the fact that this, this Fed right now, in fact, uh, the past maybe 10 years or so, the Fed has had more and more complicated things that they're doing to stimulate the economy. It's more than just lowering interest rates. You know, they, they didn't have as many levers to pull back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s as what they're doing today. They, they went very experimental coming out of the 2008 crisis, and they've gone very fast experimental um, uh, again in this most recent pandemic and everything. And so there's just there's more, uh, more things at play, I guess, than just interest rates. And it's just a complicated environment. And again, inflation is... It is well documented, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're all feeling it every time you go to the 
to the grocery store or or wherever. And um, I, I think there's there's maybe more variables um, at, at play here. But I, I love what you were referencing in general. The the stock market does well in the aftermath yep. as, as rates are rising. And you could say that in any year, yep. right? On average, the stock market should do well over time. And, and it's one of the reasons why it really is the best engine for helping you to achieve long-term goals, yep. owning a piece of the... Uh, of corporate America, these world-class companies that, you know, they they are gifted at finding ways to not only satisfy very important needs and wants for consumers, but they do it profitably over time. Mm -hmm. And that that is a reward to the owners of those companies. And, And you need to be an owner. You need to be in the stock market, in mutual funds, if you have any kind of long-term growth, regardless of what happens in the short term here. Yeah. Uh, so I'm also looking at an article right now that shows, um, can, compares and contrasts how the market performs during interest cut cycles, where the Fed is dropping interest rates, um, and compares that to when interest rates are are being increased, when the when the Fed is hiking rates, and, what, and those cycles, they look pretty stinking similar. Now, I, there's some distortions in this data I would probably uh, point out, but uh, it, it's interesting. speaks to that point. What are some other implications and what do you need to be aware of? That and more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. The Fed's going to start raising rates likely later this year. How many times? That's, you know, everyone's guessing. But what will the impact be on the stock market? What's the impact on you? That's what we're hitting right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name's Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios, Joshua Gregory. Make sure you stay up to date on all Wise Money content. Find us online, wisemoneyshow.com, and then all over social media, wherever you're at. We are there as well. Search the Wise Money Show. Uh, we've had unprecedented uh, inflation, and everywhere you look, it, I mean, Little League, baseball, prices went up almost 20%, right? And all across the board. And so, and certainly at the grocery store and, and cost of services, all that sort of stuff. And so inflation's everywhere, and no doubt because they've printed a gazillion dollars, and yet we still have really, 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 really low interest rates, mm-hmm. record lows. So as the Fed begins to start increasing interest rates to try to combat inflation, what happens to the markets? One of the interesting things, Josh, and we can't get too geeky on this, but the Federal Reserve, the interest rate that they control through open market operations um, is the overnight lending rate. Right. Okay. And so they control the shortest of short-term interest rates. Uh, I mean, I think it's pretty crude. If you're just going to lend someone money overnight to charge <laughs> them an interest rate, right. right? But that's the one that the Fed gets to control. You didn't do that to your roommates no, in I didn't. college? Uh, no. <laughs> but the, but all across, like then one-year rates and two-year rates and five-year rates and 10-year rates and 20-year and 30-year, those all float in the open market <clears throat> if the Fed isn't doing some yield curve control and doing things to manipulate it, which yeah. they have been. Um, so the question, though, is if the Fed starts raising short-term interest rates, will longer-term interest rates also go up? Okay, There's lots of people out there that say they can't. They can't. The long-term forecast of growth in the economy is there's a governor on it because we've printed so much money. And there's a lot of correlation between um, how much debt and how much borrowing and how much money we've printed and long-term GDP. 
There, and I'm not an expert in this. I've read a lot of it. And so lots of people are saying, well, long-term interest rates can't go up that much because the long-term prospect of GDP and growth in the country is still going to be low. Uh, is that implying that all this cash that's been kind of pumped out into the economy is not just getting into productive use fast right. enough. That's right. So, so it's creating the spike, but not any long-term enduring effects. And if anything, long-term, it will could slow down, you know, future GDP. And and all that to say, we could see an environment, an accelerating environment, where short-term interest rates are going up. And long-term interest rates aren't going anywhere. And what that does is it flattens the yield curve. My goodness, that is as geeky as it gets. You can only even work that into a show because Kevin's not here. Yeah, right? that's he, right. He would that's censor right. you on that one. So, so <laughs> it flattens the yield curve, meaning short-term interest rates are at the same level as long-term interest rates. And when that happens, that's a warning sign to the economy. And when, when it goes inverted, like Top Gun... When those short-term interest rates are a little bit higher than long-term interest rates, even if that flashes just for a second, that has preceded every recession, even even the COVID recession. Right. So so we're watching already for a warning sign to the warning sign of a recession, and and that is all always what everyone begins to speculate when the Fed begins to, you know, show signs that they're going to raise interest rates. Well, can you even get away with this? without stalling out the economy and putting us into a, a, a man-made recession. That's right. You know? yep. um, I, it, it is a very interesting environment, though, because, and you alluded to this, I don't know if you've, if you've talked much about this with clients or on the air, but the, the manipulation of the longer end of the yield curve, where the Fed is essentially buying up uh, many of these securities and influencing the both ends of the spectrum, basically. Exactly. Yield curve control. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. This is an unprecedented environment that we're in. Um, the, the Fed is behaving differently than in past cycles and everything. And mm-hmm. and maybe you would say, well, it's necessary. It was it was a pandemic that, you know, ha- had the potential to send the whole world into a pretty nasty depression. But um, so far, it's been avoided. Now, can we get back out of all that that stimulus? Yep. We've been talking though about what does it mean for your own financial life? Yep. You know, how how do we take this to a more personal level? And uh, one of the ways that rising interest rates can have an impact on you uh, is related to your own investment portfolio. That that long term mix of investments when you have exposure to the stock market, what does it mean in the short term? And, you know, we, we were talking earlier about how in any given year where they start really ramping up interest rates four times or more, it's all over the place on, on what kind of performance you might see in that particular year. But the years that follow, if you, if you give it a little bit longer time frame that you're judging by, overall, the stock market typically does well. So expect a little volatility. Make sure that you are taking the right level of risk in, in your investments, the triple leveraged S&P 500. I probably wouldn't do. I also probably wouldn't do the triple leveraged short S&P 500 either. Just there's going to be some volatility. Make sure that your investment decisions are connected to your financial plan. That's the thing I would preach, okay? What about the bond market? Hang on, though, because I think there's another warning in there. There are enough people talking about what's going on in the stock market and trying to time when the market might start to fall, when it may start to spike again. Um, that is a trader mentality. That's not an investor mentality. And you might 
you might, in the calm, cool, collected nature of a financial planning meeting, you might confess, yeah, I'm a long-term investor. These are for long-term goals that I'm accumulating this money. But when you're out and about and you're interacting with friends who are, are just trying to time turns in the market and everything, that is a trader mentality that could start to encroach into your thinking. And you've got to defend against that. Don't you, you got to fight the urge that sometimes happens when we hit rough spots in the stock market, volatility coming in. A lot of people want to stop saving into their long-term investments at a time like that. Yep. And this would not be the time. If, if we were to enter into a little bit more choppy period, that is the time to be ramping up your contributions, especially if you're off pace on any of your long-term goals. Volatility in the market is your friend when you're in contribution mode. That's right. And we've done uh, several, lots of videos on that on the Wise Money Show. Go, go check them out. What about the bond market? Certainly been some volatility there. Last year, 2021, was uh, one of the worst years in the bond market in a long time. It was down over a percent. <laughs> right? So it's funny. Like, so, so the prospect on bonds, if interest rates are going up, likely bond, val bond values will fall. That's not a secret. Expect it. And so likely the real return of bonds mathematically isn't looking that great. And yet at the same time, it's a diversifier. And a bad year in the bond market is a bad day or possibly a bad afternoon in the stock market. Yeah. So let's make sure, you know, don't freak out and say, well, interest rates are going to rise. That means bond investments are going to fall. I need to get completely out of bonds and in stocks. Nope, nope. There's a very different um, mix of volatility there. So I'd be careful. Are there some other things that you could explore to do with your bonds or have some bond alternatives? Absolutely. You know, a dynamic type strategy for bonds, finding something fixed if you can find a decent interest rate. I mean, there are there are some adjustments you could make in your bond side of your allocation, your mix, to help overcome what could be a frustrating time for bond investors. Yep. And it's also a, a good time to remind you that not all the investments in your portfolio are going to perform the same way in any given year. They're going to have good years and bad years. You want them, many of your investments, to have good years and bad years in different years. So uh, d don't uh, throw the, the baby out with the bathwater just because you start to see what should be traditionally your more safe, steady, and predictable investments starting to have some negative returns for a little while. What's going to happen with mortgage rates? What's going to happen to the interest in your savings account? Will it actually, will you get some again? And so what, there's more implications that we've got to talk about uh, on what happens with the Fed raising interest rates. So that and more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Mortgage rates have been increasing as, as well, the investors have been expecting the Fed will raise rates. So is this going to curtail the housing market? We're talking about that and more right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard with me in the KFG studios. My business partner and fellow CFP, Josh Gregory. No Kevin Corhorn today. Stay up to date on all Wise Money content on the YouTube channel. Go to YouTube, search the Wise Money Show. Every episode's right there, as well as Next Wise Step videos also that we are all throughout the work week taking one financial concept, applying it to your financial life. So check us out on YouTube, search the Wise Money Show. We're talking about interest rates are likely going to be on the rise from the Federal Reserve as they raise their short-term interest rate, that will have an influence on 
longer term interest rates, but it already has. When the Fed is not just outright manipulating the market, which is really at all times, um, the open market is moving interest rates and traders are moving interest rates all day, every day. And we've seen the 10-year bond interest rate move from, oh gosh, I think the low was 0.6 during mm-hmm. the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, up to you know near end of January, you know, one one point eight. It had increased um about 0.6, or this is really geeky, 30 percent um in just a few months. Yeah. Now what that's meant is that the 10 year interest rate is the one that most mortgage rates are connected to. Is that right? That's traditionally that's what we've always looked at is if the 10 year rates are going up, then we would expect the mortgage rate that your bank would quote you if you were going to buy a house or refinance or something, they they tend to move in the same direction at the same time and everything. So we, we often look at that 10-year as the canary in the coal mine, so to speak. And that certainly has been the case. Mortgage rates have risen significantly from a year ago, the 30-year, the average 30-year mortgage rate was 275 and Right now, it's you know pushing three point seven five, or at least it, it has been recently. So that's an enormous increase. Yeah. Uh, we expecting so I guess Josh, two questions then: as the Fed starts to raise rates, should we expect that to go up more? And then as that increase has it already, do you think is it going to influence the housing market? Well, I, t- to me, I look back on history and and try to recall times during my own career when watching mortgage rates start to drift higher, what effect did it have on on the housing market? And um, clearly, I mean, there have been stretches of time where, where mortgage rates move up fast enough that it just completely cools off an otherwise hot real estate market. Now, again, different times uh, than what we're seeing right now. There are just not enough houses on the market right now. Mm-hmm. And so you've got supply and demand that is is kind of causing housing prices to remain stubbornly high and just keep on marching higher. How much of that is driven by low interest rates, though? We, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, again, th- even if interest rates were to, to go up, it doesn't change the fact that there's not enough houses out there for our population. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a function of just so many years going by of not having enough houses built. Right. So that's just good old fashioned supply and demand economics like you learned in in high school. But um, one of these effects has to do with the affordability of housing. You know, when you buy that house and you pay a hundred grand more today than you would have a couple years ago, let's say. Um, that has a meaningful impact on what your monthly payment is. Yeah. Does it fit in the family budget? But so does the interest rate that you're borrowing at. Interest rate often will influence it e- even more. Yeah. And and I think that's one of the reasons why house prices have surged so quickly is interest rates have stayed so low. The interesting thing, I was looking at um, some data, and because this interest rate increase the Fed's about to embark on is – uh, is is connected to such high inflation? I'm I'm you know I'm, I'm not a betting man, but it makes me think I, the housing market will be un unfazed by this initially. Likely, I would expect that the interest rates are starting to go up. So anyone that's been thinking I'm going to buy is now going to have even more urgency. Oh, let me do it quicker because rates are going to be going up. That's my suspicion. 
But this also points directly to the philosophy of Mike Bernard, why I think it's going to be very tricky for the Fed to pull this off. Mm -hmm. Because I think as they increase interest rates, at least in the housing market, that could create even more of a buying frenzy, which could push inflation even harder, which could suggest the Fed needs to raise rates even more. And then all of a sudden they've been forced into a policy mistake and the whole thing starts to unravel. And that's why those who are kind of watching the Fed and passing judgment on whether or not they're doing the right thing by holding interest rates this low for this long, many of them are arguing, hey, you're already behind. Yeah. You're behind I would schedule argue that. on this. I would argue right? that. So how can they play catch up without being even more aggressive than what the market believes is going to happen? I knew they were going to be behind when in 2020 they said, oh, we're not going to raise interest rates till 2023. Maybe the end of 2023. Yeah, they that, said that multiple times. Yeah. It's going to be three years before we'll even consider raising rates. I thought, late, late. That they, they have no idea what they're doing. I know. And it's hard to not hear that and think, liars. Yeah. No way. That, it, it, is that more of one of their um, kind of the, their levers that they pull to help with the psychology of consumers and, and the markets and everything? If we forecast or kind of posture as if it's going to be a long way off, maybe people will really loosen up and, yeah. and get going on, on stimulating this economy. Well, but, they, it worked. If that's what they were trying to do, it I worked guess. more than what I they guess. expected. So for you, d don't have variable interest rate in your life right now. Don't. If you've been playing with fire, if you've got an adjustable rate mortgage or whatever, I'd be careful. Home equity lines of credit typically have variable interest rates. Consider locking that down. Um, if we do see a spike in interest rates and I'm right and the Fed can't raise rates as much or as quickly as possible and it creates some distortions, rates would come back down. Um, but anyway, so just be careful about variable rates in your life at the moment. Now, speaking of variable rates, as savers, as savers, you should have your emergency fund in a money market account that's FDIC insured, it's liquid, and it's free. Uh, but it also meant, you know, you haven't been getting any interest since, you know, it, it, would, it had gotten up to about 2% before the pandemic. And then that it dropped to, you know, 0.3, 0.4. Some are still paying 0.5. As the Fed goes to raise interest rates, Josh, what would you tell savers to be looking for in their bank accounts? Well, I, I think, you know, obviously raising interest rates, it hurts those who are borrowing. It helps those that are the lenders or the savers, the depositors. So you'll see eventually interest rates on your bank account start drifting back up to something positive again. But in the meantime, it, it almost doesn't matter, though, because it's still going to be below inflation. I'm looking at a chart right now, Guide to the Markets from J.P. Morgan Chase, and it, it shows all the way going back to 1994 um, what the interest was that you needed in order to be inflation and what the average savings account interest was. And from 94 until 2001, you were earning enough on your savings account to beat inflation. Okay. Then that changed during the recession following the tech bubble. And then that came back where your savings account was beating inflation in 05, 06, 07. And then it dropped in 08. Guys, it hasn't ever been close again. Right. And we have the farthest gap I've ever seen, I think, ever recorded between inflation and interest rates. Um, and that's intentional. So, guys, as the Fed starts raising interest rates, 
you're not going to see an increase in your savings account, not for a while. I would expect six, maybe 12 months, and that's if they can sustain these increases. And some people would be tempted to say, well, then I don't want to hold a bunch of cash at all, get it invested into long-term assets. And that that is what causes some people to take more risk with things like emergency funds or the down payment on that house or you know, cash that you've built up for some liquid reason. Don't tie it up into long-term investments just because your savings account isn't paying much these days. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. All right, so we're going to wrap this all up. We've got questions. That more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. All right, with the Fed raising rates likely this year, what's going to happen to the economy? What are some of the decisions you need to make in your financial life? We're helping you with that right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios, Josh Gregory. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on podcast. Wherever you listen, go check it out. Search the Wise Money Show. Rate the show there, and you can subscribe to it and follow us there as well. We appreciate it. All right, Josh, before we get into listener questions, just put a summary on this whole thing. Rates are likely going to be rising. What's that mean for the average individual and their their financial decisions? Well, I think the average individual, no matter uh, whether we're in an environment where the interest rates are coming up or coming down, it, it doesn't really matter. The methodology of making your financial decisions, it needs to be in the context of an overall financial plan. And it needs to have a longer time horizon than just what's going to happen in the stock market this year if the Fed starts tinkering with with interest rates. You need to be focused on the long-term goals and uh, the, the priorities that you've set for your life. And it may be that uh, it, you know interest rates being on the rise might have an impact on a goal like purchasing a home, um, like uh, paying down your debt refinancing, what, whatever it is, anything related to borrowing is going to be impacted as interest rates grow up. And so you need to be looking at your overall financial plan with your certified financial planner to determine, well, what's the next right step for you mm-hmm. with your overall plan? And I, I would encourage you to be revisiting the longest term goals that you have, like retirement or funding your kids' education, anything where you would be using stock market type investments like mutual funds and and other things as a funding vehicle, there may be new volatility that comes into the market in the short term. That can be a buying opportunity for you, but I wouldn't sit back and just wait for a big drop in the market as, okay, now is my entry point, or now I'm going to get serious about my long-term goals. No, get serious about them and take advantage of what the market throws at you as it comes, as opposed to waiting to let that be the trigger that finally turns you loose on your most important goals. Yeah, I completely agree. And and be aware mortgage rates are going up. Make sure you're budgeting on that. If you're thinking, oh, well, maybe we'll look at, you know, moving and let me calculate a interest rate on you know, or a, a mortgage based on 3.25 interest rate? No, no, it reset uh, to to what reality is. And then continue to not get antsy by your savings account, not providing any interest or enough interest to keep up with inflation. The money in your emergency fund, as Josh always says, is not there to make you rich. It's there to keep you from going poor when an emergency comes up or when you need to get your hands on some cash. That's why you have that emergency fund there. Don't grow weary of those, quote unquote, lazy dollars. No, they're serving a different purpose in your financial life. So, all right, let's get into questions from fans of the show. 
First one here is from Justin uh, on the YouTube channel from a few months ago. Uh, here's the question. Are you sure that a person only needs to have a, a Roth IRA open for five years? I think it has more to do with yearly deposits that they've been making into an account over five years that allows them to uh, to be able to withdraw money. And, uh, and so anyway, explain that a little bit. So is Justin implying that each deposit into a Roth IRA has to have its own five-year clock ticking. Yeah, is that and, and what I think he's at? that's a common misconception, and I think Justin, that's what his question's pointing to. Yep, and so so the actual rule is no, it really does look back to how long has the Roth IRA been open, and and we would take it a step further and say at least have a little bit of money in it, get it deposited, because mm-hmm. if you open a Roth IRA and you haven't yet actually made a, a contribution to it. Most investment companies will just close the thing out after some some yeah, time, a couple months, and that defeats the whole purpose of of getting going on this five year clock or whatever. So often, you know, we will um, get to get to know a new client who's approaching retirement, and when they get to within five years, one of our goals, one of our priorities, is to make sure that they have a Roth IRA in place, even if it's just minimum funded with enough cash to just hold the thing open and maybe we'll utilize it in future years, either with future contributions or maybe doing some Roth conversions. But that getting that five-year clock ticking is the name of the game. Yep. And uh, it begins, it's assumed that if you made a contribution in the middle of the year, you know, July 1st in some calendar year, it is assumed that that thing has been open since January 1st that same year. So it's not literally even looking at the exact specific date that you signed paperwork or or opened up the account. Uh, It's in the year that you contributed that first deposit. And what that does is that's one of the contingencies. That's one of the requirements. The other is age 59 and a half that you can then draw money out of your Roth IRA where the gains, the growth, will be tax-free. Now, Justin, don't be confused. There's two ways to get money into a Roth IRA. One is to contribute. And yes, just having a Roth IRA open for five years, not funding it each of those five years or, or waiting five years for each of, your, uh, of the years you contribute. Nope, nope. Just having the Roth IRA open for a total of five years, total in your lifetime, makes, uh, you know, meets that five-year rule. But then there's the second way to get money into a Roth IRA, and that's a Roth conversion, converting money from IRA to your Roth IRA. And each of those has a five-year clock. The This is the more opportunistic um, approach to contributing or getting money into a Roth IRA. It's from year to year. Some years it might make sense to do a Roth conversion. Other years, because you maybe have a spike in income or something's changed in in your tax picture, it doesn't make sense to do it. You especially need to be careful as you approach some of the the college years. Um, You know, you don't want to disqualify yourself for other tax benefits just because a Roth conversion pushed your income a little too high. So that decision on whether to contribute or whether to uh, convert money into a Roth IRA. Either one is a great idea if it's appropriate within your financial plan. And that requires careful tax planning. So we're always encouraging people to 
first talk to your CPA or even better yet, your certified financial planner who will help you analyze, is this the year to take advantage of the Roth or do we wait for a better opportunity down the road? I'm glad you said CFP because your CPA, you're likely talking to them in the spring about last year. And yep. last year's too late. You got to yep. do the Roth conversion before 1231. Good question. Next question is from Rose. Need to know what happens to a home equity line of credit when someone passes away. They don't have any spouse or adult children. Who gets the house? Good question, Rose. Depends on the estate plan, okay? And the debt's going to follow the asset. So the the whoever is, um, like, basically the estate would be responsible for the, the debt, the home equity line of credit. Um, the, so the will if the person has one, would designate, well, who gets which assets, would either specifically state, this is the person who gets the house, or here's where the house goes, or it would be, in general, all of my assets are to be distributed in these ways. If, that, that's more common, right? Yeah. That that most people's wills, they say, if I didn't name someone as the recipient of this, as the, the beneficiary or the heir to receive it, um, then it just kind of goes into the pot and it everything gets sold. All my debts get paid off, which would include that home equity line. In fact, the home equity line would prevent the house from even being sold unless that bank gets paid off on any balance that's outstanding, right? Yeah, that's, they have a lien against the house. First position, likely lien holder, where you, yeah, no one gets any proceeds before they get theirs. That's right. And so um, if, if that individual that passed away does not have a will, then you've got to be working with an attorney to figure out, all right, what's the next what's what's the next step? And it's going to be something called intestacy laws going through the court system and the courts doing you know their process to figure out, all right, who's the next of kin, who's the closest family member, and how should these assets be distributed? Yep. You really don't want to go there, right? Yeah. To, to pass away without any estate plan in place, unless you just really don't own much of anything, um, then in a case like that, maybe you say spending three, four, five hundred dollars to get just a simple will in place with an attorney. You, you might say, oh, that's wasted money, not not even necessary. The, the types of folks that I'm referring to are those who have an estate less than fifty thousand dollars in a lot of states. Mm -hmm. um, there, most states have some sort of a dollar amount threshold. Whereas, as long as the stuff that you own that's going into the estate. It, it didn't go by beneficiary to some named person directly. If it's less than this threshold, say $50,000, then they, they offer a more simplified method of settling out your estate. It doesn't have to go through a full-blown probate process. Um, but, but ultimately, you really don't want to leave things to just the rule book that the state has put in place. Because rarely... Do the decisions they've carved out yeah. line up with your own priorities? And it's going to take more time, and it's going to be more costly and cumbersome. Yeah, it's, it's, I completely agree, Josh. All right, next question, probably the last one we'll be able to hit today. It comes from Stacy. Now, what she did is went to wisemoneyshow.com. There's a spot there on the right in the website where you can submit a question, and, and it comes right to me in an email. So go ahead and do that if you have a question or have any needs. Um, Stacy said, I already took my required minimum distribution for this year and used the money for a remodel. However, then we had a storm that happened and I've got some leaks in my basement that I need fixing. Can I take another $5,500 out of my IRA? And if I can, what are the state and federal taxes? Do, do we know Stacy's age? Um, no. Uh, I, you know what we, I'm just curious about is, is this an IRA that was inherited and you know, you're required to take a 
continue on maybe the pattern of of distributions that you inherited on years ago or whatever or are you over age 59 and a half and don't have to worry about any of these um these distributions obviously rmd uh, sorry over age 72 now yeah uh, for rmd um you know, ultimately, you're allowed to pull money out of your IRA. Yeah, right? the, the M, the M in RMD is the is the important point here. M is minimum. That's right. Required minimum distribution. So if you need to, it's not required maximum distribution. That's right. Right. So and it's you, not a set dollar amount, a specific mm-hmm. amount that you've got to nail right on the money every every time. So typically, those who are taking the required minimum amount each year, it's because they don't really need access to much more than that, and they don't want to trigger more taxation than is really necessary. So they always just barely satisfy the compliance requirements of the government. And it's in those years where you just need more money. You've got a project, or in this case, a repair. Maybe it's a car purchase that's needed. Something that makes your needs spike in a given year. You're allowed to pull more money out. You just need to pay attention to the tax ramifications. Which is the second question. I thought that's what you were asking about her age. Because if you are drawing Social Security, then the amount of other income that you have, and including the amount of money you take out of an IRA, could influence how much of your Social Security is taxable. Exactly. So so that's where, Stacey, you've got to look at your tax situation. And if that doesn't all make sense to you, which it probably won't, then work with your CFP or CPA to see if I pull more money out, will that push me into the next tax bracket? Or will I lose some tax benefit? Or will more of my Social Security be taxable? But it's figure outable, mm-hmm. and uh, And then you can plan and make a great decision. So thanks for the question. All right. All right, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for the questions. On behalf of Josh Gregory, myself, and all of us at Corhorn Financial Group, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated. What happens to stocks when the Fed is rising rates? Okay. <laughs> the blooper reel. Yes. Raising put, rates. Put it in my uh, in my bank of screw ups there. Oh.